the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When we come to know Jesus as our Savior, we come by faith alone, okay? Jesus doesn't say, hey, go clean yourself up first. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. Hope is an assurance. Hope is a trust. Hope is an expression that no matter what hardships in life come our way, we know who holds our tomorrows. And when we die, we carry the hope of heaven with us all the way into the hands of our Savior. Yes, in verse 8, when we show favoritism, it breaks the law of loving our neighbor as our own selves. And when we do that, we break the law of God. Remember, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he summed up the entire law. He summed up the whole law. Think about it. The Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of God, the first five books of the Bible. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the the, the Torah. It holds together 613 of the laws. So we, we think of the law of God as the Ten Commandments. Well, that's 10 of the 613 laws. There's 613 laws. But he says, I'm going to sum it all up for you. Here it is. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. 37. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and the foremost commandment. He says, love God with everything you have. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. With these two commandments rests the entire law. Because when you look at like the Ten Commandments and you look at all the laws, it either has to do with you sinning against God or you sinning against your fellow man. So it's like, look, I'm not going to go worship any other gods. I'm not going to use the Lord's name in vain. Why? Because I love him. See, keep the Lord your God. Love him with your heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and you won't sin against God. And love your neighbors yourself. If you love your neighbors yourself, you're not going to go sleep with their spouse. You're not going to steal their lawnmower, okay? So when you do those two commandments, you cover all of the others. Notice again what it says in James 2.10. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law, but yet you stumble in one point, he has become guilty of all. What? This just blows the whole picture out of everyone's mind. Because what does most people think if you ask them, are you a good person? Yes, I'm a good person. Oh, you're a good person. Are you going to heaven? Well, I hope so. Why? Because I'm a good person. But the Bible says what? If you keep the whole law, so forget the Ten Commandments, go back to the 613 laws that are recorded in the Bible. It's like if you kept 612 of them, but you missed 613, you're going to hell. It's like, what? 
How could you keep 612 of the laws? But you, no, he says, if you break one, you've broken them all. How does that make any sense? I thought the good outweighed the bad. But it's like, think about it. If you're in your new Porsche and you're going 120 miles an hour down to 10 and you get pulled over, oh, you broke the law. You're speeding. But if you're going 66 miles an hour down to 10, you still broke the law. Now, the chances of you getting pulled over going 66 is pretty slim. Now, you getting run off the road because everyone else is going 80. Now, that's a high chance, okay? But, but the point is, it's like you break the law at 66 miles an hour. So what the Bible is saying to you is, it's like once you break the law, you're a transgressor of the law. No transgressor goes to heaven. So some people like are good people, right? I mean, they're just, you know, they, they try to do everything right but they're still transgressors of the law. So maybe it's just, just a little boo-boo. It's not that big. You're a transgressor of the law. And then there's people like me. I came to Christ. I'm, I'm like, you know, I just had, you know, telephone books where the stuff done wrong. It doesn't matter. Once you're a transgressor, you're a transgressor. Little bit or gigantic, doesn't matter. You're not going to heaven. It's impossible to go to heaven. Wow, that just blows the bubble of so many people. So if we break one of God's laws, we're guilty of breaking them all. For we become again the transgressor. That's why it's simply impossible to get to heaven by good works alone. You can't get to heaven by living according to the law. And let me just get back to the 613 laws. Let me set those aside. Let's just go to the Ten Commandments. I would suggest that no one has even come close to living by the Ten Commandments, no matter how good you are. Because Jesus redefined the commandments. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount, you remember what he said? He goes, it's been said, if you commit adultery, you've committed adultery, right? Yes. I've never slept with someone else's spouse. Jesus said, but if you look at another person and you lust after them, you've committed adultery in your heart. <sighs> okay, we're all toast on that. Okay, well, maybe not you, but okay. But anyway, and then he said, and he says, thou shalt not kill. Well, I've never killed anyone, you know, one or two a few times driving down the freeway, but I, I've never killed anyone. It's like Jesus says, but if you hate your brother, you've killed him in your heart. Oh, okay. So when someone says, I've lived by the Ten Commandments, you're a liar. You're lying right now. It says, thou shalt not lie. Okay, you're lying right there. Okay, no one is getting to heaven by any kind of good works. It's not going to happen. Understand, just going to church, living a good life, will always fall short of getting to heaven. Again, why? Because we need God's grace. We need his mercy in our lives to forgive us of our sins. That's why this first section ends in verse 13 saying, it's a strong exhortation here. He says, to be merciful to those that are around us because the only way we can get to heaven is by God's mercy in our own lives. Thus, we must be equally willing to show the same mercy in the lives of those that are around us. So let me ask you, is there someone that you know? Is there someone in your life that you are not forgiving? Someone that's double-dogged you, they've done the wrong thing to you, are you not forgiving them? Someone that needs to have you show mercy to them like God showed mercy to you. Is there someone in your life that you need to show that mercy. Remember, mercy means that we deserve judgment. This is what mercy means. You deserve judgment, but instead of judgment, God has given you favor 
and even blessed you on top of that. I wonder if there is not someone that God wants you personally to show his grace to through your act of forgiving them because he desires to use you as his vessel for when we reach out as Christians to forgive someone that doesn't deserve our forgiveness, and we do it by grace and mercy that he has shown us, we do it, and guess who gets the glory? God gets the glory. Because you couldn't have done it on your own. And that will point them back to the God of grace and mercy. And it points back, and it's like, well, why are you forgiving me? Well, because God has forgiven me. See, and and that person might come to know Christ. This person has caused you harm. This person has caused you no good. It It might allow them to open up their eyes to see the grace of God through you. Now, they might not, and it's like, yeah, well, whatever. Okay, well, okay, but God still wanted them to see that mercy. And when they stand before him in judgment day, and even though they rejected all of that, then they, God will judge them, and they will be judged harshly. God says, it's better for a person to have a millstone around their neck and thrown into the ocean than to come against one of my little ones. So if they don't repent, then it's not going to be good for them. But let God have the judgment, not you. But that person might just come. They might come to know the same God that you know because of that grace that they see in your life. And they can have a fresh start. They can have a, a second chance and really know what God is really about. Because why? You exhibited. You didn't just talk about it. You exhibited what your faith is. You, you lived it out. They could tangibly see. Instead of you just saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. They saw that you were a Christian. Let's pick up and read here in verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but he has no works. Like, you, you can't see it, you, just, you hear it because he's always telling you. Can that faith save him? That's a good question. Faith without works, can that faith save him? Verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothing in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, well, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? That's wonderful. But so does the demons. They also believe, and they shudder. Satan believes that Jesus is God too. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Wow. Notice when comparing faith that has no works to a faith that is full of works, the faith without works is simply worthless. Worthless. He says at the beginning of verse 14 and at the end of verse 16, what use or profit is it? Yes, the person who claims that they have faith with their mouth, but by looking at their life really has no tangible evidence of that faith. Is that really faith at all? Understand, when we come to know Jesus as our Savior, we come by faith alone, okay? Okay. Jesus doesn't say, hey, go, go clean yourself up first. 
You know, make sure you get all the uh, sin out of your life. Hey, drug addict, stop taking your drugs. Uh, alcoholic, stop drinking. What does he say? Come just as you are. Yeah, I'm all dirty right now. That's all right. Come on. Yeah, I'm filthy. I, I just came out of a, uh, you know, a strip club. Just come. Just come just as you are. Come just as you are. I got alcohol in my breath. I'm half drunk. I'm half wasted. I'm high. Come as you are. Come just as you are. Jesus says, don't worry about cleaning yourself. You come as you are by faith. I love that verse that's in Ephesians 2.8. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one can boast. Well, I came to know Jesus. I gave up my drugs. I gave up this, and I became a wonderful man, and da-da-da-da. No, 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 no. No one's getting to heaven because of that. You come just as you are. So, yes, no works are needed when you come to know Christ. We're saved by grace. Grace is a beautiful thing. Grace means God's unmerited favor. It cannot be earned. It is unmerited. You just come. All that's required is that we simply come by faith and believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the dead. But... Once we come, everything changes. Once we believe, once we come to Christ, we become the sons and the daughters of God. And now he has no desire or plan to keep us the same way. Oh, now there's going to change is going to start happening to the true believer. He desires to change us from the inside out. He desires to change the course and the direction of our lives. Why? Because he desires us to be just like him. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to your former lust. Don't be acting like you used to act. Don't keep going to the places you used to go. He says, as obedient children, don't be conformed to those things any longer. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior. Because it is written, you... My son, my daughter, she'll be just like me. I want you to be like me. I want people to start looking in your eyes and not seeing you anymore. I want them to see me inside of you. And see, when I started, you know, when I came to Christ, I started changing. My potty mouth went away. I wasn't going to parties anymore. I wasn't bonging. My my friends were like, here, man, here, take a hit of the joint. I don't want that anymore. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, what's wrong with you? It's like, well, I'm different now. I've got Christ in my life. I can't drink. I can't party. I, I don't want to do those things anymore. See, all of a sudden, there was change in my life. Yes, once we are saved, people should see that we're saved. Not just hear that we're saved, they should see that we're saved by our actions. Not just from the hearing of our own lips, which is part of our testimony we do need to tell them, but they should also see it by evidence that we're not doing the same things by the way we used to live. It's becoming more like Jesus. It's becoming a servant. That's why James says in chapter 2, verse 15, if you see someone in need and you do nothing but speak the words, be, oh, we'll be warmed and filled. What use is that? How does that help them? Yes, real faith is a faith that takes action. God wants to still use us in some way, shape, or form. 
Now, there was a church out of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. The seven churches in the book of Revelation is a description of what humanity is going to look like in the last days. I believe that we're living in the last of the last days. And so you could take all seven and a half billion people on planet Earth now, and you could categorize them in each of those seven churches, meaning that the description of each one of these churches describe every single person living today. So Jesus spots out the people in Laodicea. They were all dressed nice. They all looked wonderful, wonderful Christians here at the church of Laodicea. We're all just beautiful people. It's the church of the beautiful people. And so this is what Jesus said to the church of beautiful people. In Revelation 3, 17, he says, because you say, I am rich, because that's what they said. And you have become wealthy. That's what they said. And you have need of nothing. That's what they said. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Whoa! Okay, (laughs) it's just like, I mean, how many churches are the churches of the rich and it's a big socialite club? Jesus says, you guys can say what you want, but I know who you really are. They said, we are rich. And Jesus says, "Uh, no, you're poor. They said, we're wealthy. Jesus says, no, you're wretched. They said, we are in need of nothing. Jesus says, you are in need of everything. They said, we're busy. Jesus says, yes, you are. Yet you are so miserable. They said, we're full of vision. Jesus says, no, you're actually blind. They said, we're clothed in fine garments. Jesus says, no, you're naked. And you haven't found satisfaction. Jesus said, you know what? You make me sick to my stomach. The word that he used there, I want to spew you out of my mouth. I want to vomit you. I mean, could you imagine talking to the Lord and, and saying, oh, yes, I'm just, my life is wonderful, Lord. And he says, I feel like I want to throw up talking to you. I mean, that's exactly what he said. God had a totally different perspective on their position in life than what they had. I wonder what God's perspective would be concerning our position as Christians here today. Maybe you think, well, I'm just fine. But are you really? You might say, but I believe in God. Yet notice again, verse 19 says, the devil also believes in God. But he trembles at his presence and he knows he's going to be judged and sent to hell forever. He trembles because of that. And there is no redemption. There is no repentance for him. But James said in verse 18, you have faith. Okay, you say you have faith. All right, great. Show me your faith without any kind of works. And I'll show you my faith by simply the way I live, by my works. Yes, the reality of a true faith is better seen than heard. Did you get that? The reality of a true faith is better seen than heard. Let me ask you, if you were taken to court as a Christian, and you're going to be tried in a court of law, and we're going to bring in a jury on whether you're a Christian or not, and the jury would comprise of only your family, your friends, and your co-workers, And they came in to give testimony about your life. If that happened, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Which brings up our final point. Examples 
to follow. Let's read what he says in James 2, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the harlot? She was also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Wow. You know, see, the book of James, it's like, again, you got the big cut on your arm, and it's like, just pour some peroxide in there. James is like the peroxide of the Bible. And it's like, you know what? We're just going to like, we're going we're gonna to poke into some places that you don't want to be poked. But here we have two great examples of faith. First, we have Abraham. He is the father of our faith. For Abraham was the first man who believed God. And he just simply trusted him. Like, I believe what you say. And, and what did Abraham do that really proved hands down that he totally trusted and believed God? Well, it says in verse 21 that he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. Yes, that was a great example of faith and action by Abraham and Isaac. Along with, he mentions Rahab here. Now, again, God had a plan and he needed someone on the inside of a fortified city named Jericho. Now, you know the story. Moses helped get the people out of Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Then Moses goes up and dies. So he's dead. Where's Moses? I'm sorry, he's dead. So he raises up Joshua. Joshua is going to take the people across the Jordan River. And the first mighty fortress there is Jericho. And so how are we going to get this high-walled city of Jericho? How are we going to conquer that? So God needed someone on the inside. Who did God seek after? Did he seek after the king of Jericho? No. How about some high court official? No. Was it the queen? Uh, No. How about her royal maids? No. Who did God seek after? He sought after the local prostitute named Rahab. An undeserving life that many would say was completely insignificant. A woman of complete dishonor that lived a life of disgrace. Yet in the eyes of God, you know what he saw when he looked at Rahab? He saw a woman that was lost in her sin. He saw a woman that was in need of a savior. And he reached out to her. I wonder if there's any of you that are lost in sin. I wonder if anyone here today is in need of a savior. Well, all of a sudden, this woman of scorn is now thrust into the center stage of God's plan. For God was going to destroy the city of Jericho. And Rahab helped the Jewish spies that came to survey the city. Rahab knew that these men were sent from God and she helped them and she encouraged them. She hid them from her own king. She became a traitor to her own people. Her punishment would be surely death. Yet she encouraged these spies. This woman, this pagan prostitute seemed to have more faith than the spies had. She said, listen, we've heard about you. We've been waiting for you to come here. And the mighty God that you serve, how he split the Red Sea. We've heard all the stories, how he wiped out all your enemies. And she went on to say, just hearing about you made the hearts of every man in this city melt inside. 
Oh, what a woman of faith she was. She believed in God simply from the testimony of hearing of God's great power. She had never seen God, never walked into some church, yet without question, she believed in God. And this woman, with little to no earthly value in other people's minds, has become a strong tower of faith in a field of fear. How was that even possible? Because God saw beyond her past life of sin and disgrace. God saw what she could become if she came to know him as her savior. All because she believed and she proved her faith by her works. And she helped God's people conquer Jericho. And she went on to become the mother of Boaz. Boaz grows up and he has a baby named Obed. Obed grows up, has a baby named Jesse. Jesse grows up, has a baby named David, making this former prostitute, let me say former, cleansed by the power of God, making her the great, great, great grandmother of King David, the greatest king, the psalmist. Amazing. Which puts her in the bloodline all the way down to Jesus, our Savior. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.